So the summer after my senior year in college, I went on a mission trip to the Philippines. And the focus of this trip was ministry among the urban poor, uh, to those who are living in the slums of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. And in preparation for going on this trip, we read a book. Uh, the book was called Companion to the Poor by Viv Grigg. Um, Viv, in this book, he recounts his experience of living among the poor in Manila, the very city that we were about to go to, um, as well as his experience then he went and lived in Calcutta, India, um, and ministered there among the poor for a long time. And as I read this book, um, in preparation for where we were going, I was deeply affected by hearing um, his story and just the ways that God had shaped him and, and, and uh, moved in his life during this time. And it gave me kind of a window into some of what we were going to see and experience that summer. Um, I've mentioned in other sermons of mine um, how impactful that summer in the Philippines was for me. It really opened up my eyes to the reality of poverty in our world, which can often seem very distant to us here in the U.S. Uh, but one of the other really impactful things about that trip happened actually when I returned from the Philippines. Uh, we came back to um, a debriefing time back in the U.S., and at one of the group sessions that we had, the leaders told us that we were going to have a special guest speaker um, who was, had come to visit and, was, and wanted to, to share something with us. And guess who the speaker was? It was Viv Grigg, um, the man that we had read about in this book, the man who had written this book. And, uh, and, and it was just, again, powerful to hear this man that we had read about begin to just share and, and talk with us. And after his talk, I decided I wanted to go up uh, to Viv to meet him and just kind of thank him for, for you know, what he shared. Um, and what followed when I introduced myself to him was an incredibly significant conversation for me. Um, he, rather than just kind of saying, oh, thanks, you know, and kind of having a very brief interaction, he actually began to ask questions about me, about my life, and about what I was studying in school and what, was pa what I was passionate about. And then he began to talk about ways that he saw that maybe God wanted to use me in my life. Um, it, was, it was kind of surreal for me. I had never met this man before, but as he was talking with me, it was like he could see right into me, and he could actually see kind of into my, my future, even. Um, it was an encounter that, that shaped me, um, changed me. I mean, it was 16 years ago, I guess, and it's something that still is so fresh in my mind because it was such an impactful conversation. It probably lasted maybe five minutes, but it was, it was incredibly significant in my life. Uh, that encounter that I had with, with Viv Grigg, as significant as it was for me, it pales in comparison to what we're going to be focusing on this summer, which is encounters with, guess who? Jesus. Um, encounters with Jesus. And we're going to be looking at that in the Gospel of John. Uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, he had many interactions, encounters with different individuals, and many of them were probably similar to that conversation I had with Viv, maybe five, ten minutes, some of them probably even less than that. But each of those encounters that Jesus had with each of these individuals had a significant life-altering impact on each of those people that he met. Um, and why is that? Because of who Jesus is. And the amazing thing for us is that we get to read about these encounters in the Bible. They've been recorded for us. And as we do, as we begin to hear about these momentary encounters that Jesus had with different individuals, there is a way that Jesus encounters us through his living word. That as we encounter kind of Jesus encountering this person, there's a way that Jesus encounters us too 
through that account, through the way that he's encountering that person. And so what we're going to be looking at over the course of the summer is, is these encounters specifically recorded in the Gospel of John. Um, and many of them are only recorded in John's Gospel. Um, some of you might know that, that the, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, there's a lot of commonality, but John is sort of a, tells the same story of Jesus, but kind of from a different angle and, and introduces different encounters and things that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't write about. And so we're going to be looking kind of specifically at, at John's gospel and, and these amazing encounters that we see there. Um, today we're going to start with one of the very first encounters that Jesus has um, in John's gospel. And it's an interaction that highlights two ideas that we're going to kind of focus on today. The ideas of being found and seen. Um, that's my sermon title today, Found and Seen. We're going to look at how Jesus kind of brings that out in these encounters um, in this particular story and how Jesus might encounter us in these, well, in these ways as well. So our text is from uh, John chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 43 through 51. And uh, so we'll have the verses on the screen. And I just realized, again, we forgot to bring Bibles down. We'll have to remember that for next week. Um, but hopefully... We'll at least have the verses on the screen here. So, uh, or you can use your phone, most of you, uh, who has a smartphone. Um, all right, John chapter 1, beginning with verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. Before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you encounter us, that you are a living God, one who wants to know us personally, and thank you that you, uh, you encountered people in the past, uh, Jesus, as you walked this earth, but also, Holy Spirit, you encounter us today through your word, and so we pray that as we look into this encounter that Jesus had with Philip and Nathaniel, that you would encounter us too through it, God, and that you would speak to us and mold us. Um, and show us more clearly who we are, who you are. Um, and so we invite you to encounter us now, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this encounter that, uh, that Jesus had with Philip and Nathaniel, we're going to focus on how this, this story, this, this account, kind of shows us how Jesus encounters us as well. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus finds us. Jesus finds us. In verse 43 of our text, uh, that first verse we read, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
Who's the actor in this verse? It's Jesus, right? Jesus, he decides to leave for Galilee. He acts with purpose. He's, he's, he's heading somewhere. And then he finds Philip. Just kind of, you know, very briefly just says, finding Philip. But Jesus goes out of his way to find this man, Philip. And when he finds him, he then calls Philip to follow him. We're going to see uh, throughout these encounters in John's gospel that Jesus is constantly finding people. He goes out of his way to encounter individuals. He takes the initiative. Um, And even in situations where someone else actually approaches Jesus, we actually see that in reality, often Jesus was the one drawing them to himself, sometimes indirectly. For example, in, in, in the second encounter in this text, Jesus doesn't actually go directly to find Nathaniel, but Philip does. In verse 45, we read, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip finds Nathanael and, and he invites him to come and see, come and see this man, Jesus, for himself. Now, although we're going to look at this in a, in a second, but Nathanael is the one that approaches Jesus and, and Jesus sees him approaching him. Then Jesus says to him that he actually saw Nathanael before he was even called by Philip. So Jesus had Nathanael in mind even before he met him, even before Philip met him. Jesus was actually finding Nathanael through the witness and invitation of Philip. Philip was the agent of bringing Nathanael to Jesus. Jesus finds us too. He doesn't wait around for us to find him. He doesn't hide from us. He is the actor. He takes the initiative. And it's a good thing that he does because we can't find God on our own. We are lost on our own. In fact, the whole reason that Jesus came into this world was to find us lost people. And today, just as Jesus found Nathaniel through the witness and invitation of Philip, he often, the way that he often finds us is actually through someone else finding us through the witness and invitation of others, of those who have also been found by Jesus. Uh, My parents taught me about Jesus and his love for me when I was a child. And so Jesus found me through their witness, through their invitation for me to come and see Jesus for myself. Uh, During my sophomore year of college, uh, I I dealt with significant doubts about God's existence and about the reliability of the Bible. It was a kind of a very shaky time for me. And yet, in the midst of that, in the midst of those doubts and questions, Jesus found me. And he found me through the witness and patient persistence of other Christian friends who helped me wrestle through those questions and doubts. They were the ones that came and found me, but it was Jesus finding me through them. When I look back on my life, I can think of countless times when Jesus has used someone to find me, to call me away from a sinful pattern in my life, to remind me of his love and his grace when I was feeling discouraged, when I was feeling ashamed, to call me to look beyond myself when I was getting wrapped up in self-centered thinking. You see, in all those situations, Jesus found me 
but he found me oftentimes through someone else that he was using as his agent. And the reality is that we need Jesus to keep finding us again and again because on our own, we keep getting lost. That's why I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't just find us once and then expect us to follow him perfectly from then on. He finds us and says, all right, now the rest is up to you. No, he, he constantly is finding us, looking for us, bringing us back to himself. Um, Jesus, he calls Philip, right, in this moment to follow him. But what happens later on? Philip, along with all the other disciples, end up abandoning Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested. But that doesn't stop Jesus. After his resurrection, he finds them again. They're hiding behind locked doors, scared for their lives. And he comes into the room, finds them, and declares, peace be with you. And then sends them out as his disciples once again. You know, I think just as, as many of us can think of people uh, that, that Jesus has used to find us as we heard a little bit earlier, as Heidi was sharing about messengers being sent out, Jesus also wants to use us as his messengers to find others for him. Uh, notice that right after Jesus finds Philip, what happens? Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, right? That's the immediate response that he has. Hey, let me get someone else to meet this Jesus. There's something about encountering Jesus that makes you want to introduce other people to him too. Um, I was having lunch with, uh, with Eddie over here, one of our young adults, this past Friday, and uh, he told me it was okay to share about this, so just to let you know. Um, but he was, he was sharing um, just that he had been recently meeting some people uh, who had, had, been, had grown up in some difficult circumstances, and, and as he was getting to know them, he could just tell from, from hearing them that they, they're people who probably hadn't experienced a lot of love in their lives, who hadn't experienced much love in their families, some were, were dealing with addictions, um, looking for fulfillment, a string of relationships. And, and he told me that he really wanted them to know Jesus. He really had this heart to want them to experience Jesus. And you see, part of the reason for that is that Eddie could relate to some of that background in his own life. Um, he, he saw clearly how Jesus had found him and rescued him from the path that, that some of those, he could see those people going down. And so he had this desire for others to experience what what he's experienced. Um, and I know God has already used Eddie to, to, to find several other people and introduce them to Jesus. And I know that God is going to continue to use him to find others because he's experienced God finding him. And so he wants to help others to be found by, by Jesus as well. Um, but I know sometimes this idea of, of telling other people about Jesus can feel a little bit intimidating, right? What, what happens if they ask you a question or they respond with an objection that you don't know how to answer. What, if, what happens if, if they kind of reject you? All of a sudden they, you, they find out that you're this, one of these Christians, these, these people who follow Jesus, and they kind of change the way they look at you. Maybe they, they, they start mocking you for believing in Jesus. Well, that's basically what happened to Philip when Nathaniel was met by, when, when Philip approached Nathaniel and said, hey, you've got to find this, this Jesus. He's the one that Moses wrote about, the prophets wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth. And what's Nathaniel's response? Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Um, he just kind of dismisses it like, no, what are you talking about here? But, but what does Philip do? Instead of trying to argue with Nathaniel 
saying, no, 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 but, but let me explain why it is okay that he came from Nazareth. He was actually born in Bethlehem, but he doesn't go into any of that. Philip simply responds by saying, come and see. Come and see. Philip invites Nathaniel to meet Jesus for himself. And that's really what we're called to do, too. To invite people to come and see. To have an encounter with Jesus for themselves. Because Jesus will take care of the rest. We're just called to invite them to come and see. And somehow Nathaniel is willing to go along with Philip to see for himself. When Nathaniel meets Jesus, we see the second aspect of what happens when Jesus encounters us, which is that Jesus sees us. Jesus finds us. And he sees us. In verse 47, we read, When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, Jesus, he, he literally sees Nathanael approaching him, but his comment that he makes here shows that, that he actually sees Nathanael in, in a much deeper way. He sees Nathanael's identity. He sees his heart. Um, he sees that Nathanael is someone who tells it like it is. He's sincere and honest. There's no deceit in him. What you see is what you get with Nathanael. When Nathanael hears Jesus is from Nazareth, what does he say? Oh, that's interesting. No, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Right? He's very honest. He's very blunt with kind of how he thinks about things. Now, remember, Nathaniel, he had never met Jesus before. So when Jesus makes this comment about him, verse 48 gives Nathaniel's reply. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Once again, Nathaniel kind of speaks his mind with this response. And it's kind of a funny response, right? It's like a stranger comes up to you and says, hey, you seem to be the smartest, most good-looking person in this room. And you're like, how do you know me? Wow, you can see right through me. <laughs> There's no deceit in this man. How do you know me? But I think actually in this case, Nathaniel's surprise is genuine. Um, this man, Jesus, he knows something about his character, even before meeting him, that, that Nathaniel is this guy that just kind of tells it like it is. He's going to be honest and blunt. And, and somehow Jesus, never meeting him, knows that about him. He sees him. Um, but then Jesus goes a little bit further. The rest of verse 48 says, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus shows Nathaniel that, that he saw him even before he met him, even before Philip met him, even before Philip said anything about Jesus, that, that Jesus saw Nathaniel. As we look at, at, at encounters over the, the, the course of the summer that Jesus has with these individuals, um, we're going to see that, that Jesus sees them too. Sometimes in very powerful ways where Jesus encounters someone and, and he just sees right into their heart. He sees what's really going on in their lives. He sees their condition before they even say anything to him. And the same is true for us. Jesus sees us. He knows us. Later in John's gospel, Jesus compares himself to a shepherd saying, I am the good shepherd. And he says, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus knows your name. Not just, just your name, but, but he knows who you are. He knows your identity. He knows you more intimately than you, you even know yourself. 
And in some ways, this can be a comforting thought because Jesus, the one, our, our Savior, he, he knows us, he, he sees us. But if we're honest, this can also be kind of a terrifying thought because we know some of the things we've said. We know some of the things that we've done. And we all have things that we wish Jesus couldn't see, things that he didn't know. I wish that when Jesus looked at me, he would say, here is Andy, in whom there is no deceit. But I know that's not true. Earlier this week, I was talking to a friend about how the previous, I was just talking about the, kind of the previous week. Um, this is a good friend of mine that we kind of share pretty regularly, just what's going on in our lives. And, and I shared it was, it was a pretty good week. I didn't remember kind of doing anything specifically where I was actively rebelling against God. But I did recognize that, that I hadn't been very disciplined in my, in my prayer life. And, and I was kind of, I wasn't really actively looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And those are two of the things that we're trying to really work on this year in our church, right? Is prayer and, and evangelism and disciple making. And I was realizing, yeah, I didn't really engage in much of that this past week. And and so he started to ask me questions about that. Why was I reluctant to pray? What was getting in the way of me witnessing to people? He started asking deeper questions about what was behind that. And as, as he started to, to dig deeper, I realized that actually I was rebelling against God. I was running away from spending time with him. That I, I, was, I was kind of resisting that. I, I was putting my own comfort above God's call for me to be a witness, that I cared more about just going about my, my life. I didn't want to deal with the uncomfortability of, of talking to someone else about Jesus. And, and so really what, what it came down to was that I was choosing to be in control of my own life rather than submitting myself to God and saying, God, you shape me, you lead me, Whatever, however you want me to do that. I was saying, no, no, I'm, I'm actually going to be the one calling the shots this week. And suddenly I realized that my earlier assessment that, hey, this is a pretty good week, I didn't rebel against God, was actually not accurate at all. <laughs> that actually I was deceiving myself in terms of what was going on. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, we read, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? My heart is deceitful. And whether you want to admit it or not, yours is too. Our hearts don't want to tell it like it is. They try to make excuses for our sin. They try to justify us. But as deceitful as our hearts may be, Jesus sees the truth. He sees us. He sees our sin. He sees the idols in our lives that, that rule us way more than, than him. He sees us when no one else is looking. He sees not only our actions and our words, but he sees our thoughts. He sees our attitudes. He sees the things that we hope no one else will ever know about us. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He sees all of that, and he still loves us. He doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't look at us with disgust. He doesn't condemn us. Instead, he looks at us with compassion and with mercy. How is that possible? How can Jesus see the deepest, darkest parts of me 
and still love me? Well, the answer to that question comes much later in the Gospel of John. But here in chapter 1, after Jesus tells Nathanael that he saw him under the fig tree, verses 49 and 50 tell us, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you will see greater things than that. See, here in this, this early encounter with Jesus, Philip and Nathaniel, they witness Jesus' ability to, to see and know much more than any normal person could. That fact prompted Nathaniel to proclaim this faith that Jesus was the Son of God, the King of Israel. But Jesus tells him, you will see greater things than that. You see, Jesus didn't come to just do amazing miracles that revealed his power, to, to tell the future or kind of show things. He came to do greater things. He came to accomplish the greater, amazing task of dealing with our sin, dealing with our deceitful hearts once and for all. He came to give us new life, to wash us clean, to give us sight to our spiritually blind eyes. He came to raise us from the dead. And over the coming weeks this summer, we're going to see how each of the encounters that Jesus has with individuals in this gospel point to each of those different aspects of what Jesus was going to do when he went to the cross. He came to wash us clean, to give sight to the blind, to raise from the dead. Jesus is going to do that very physically in these encounters, but it points ahead to what he was really doing, the greater thing he was doing on the cross. In the very last verse of our text, Jesus adds this, this curious picture of the greater things that he, that, that he says that they're going to see. Right? He says, you will see greater things than these. And then verse 51 says, he then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now at first, you might be a little bit confused by, by what is Jesus really getting at here. Um, maybe it sounds like Jesus is predicting that the disciples are going to have this vision sometime in the future of angels ascending and descending on him like the Son of Man. But when you read through John's Gospel, any of the Gospels, there's no record of that kind of vision happening, literally, in Jesus' ministry. So what's Jesus talking about here? Well, the phrase, heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending, if you paid attention earlier in the service, maybe you recognize that's actually a quote from the scripture reading that Heidi read from Genesis 28, where we heard the story of, of Jacob having this dream of a stairway reaching to heaven. And what was happening on the stairway, angels were ascending and descending on it. Now, there are different interpretations of what Jesus is saying here, but I can't help but notice that when Jesus quotes from this, he puts himself in the place of the stairway. Instead of angels ascending and descending on the stairway, here they are doing it on the Son of Man, Jesus himself. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the, the greater thing that Jesus had come to do was to establish the way to the Father through himself. 
he was about to do that was he went to the cross to establish the way to the Father. He had come to open up a stairway to heaven through his own body, sacrificed on the cross. Not just a stairway for angels, but, but for heaven itself to come down to earth. And for all of us, sinners with deceitful hearts, to get to be brought to heaven with him, with clean new hearts. And then, as, as we heard earlier from what Heidi shared, then for us to be those angels, those messengers being sent back into the earth with this really good news to proclaim to others of what we have received. So as we begin this, this new series this summer, I want to invite each of you to come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and see the greater things that he wants to show us. Because Jesus wants to encounter each of us. He's come to find us. He's come to see us. And most of all, he's come to save us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, you don't wait for us to find you, but that you come to find us. That you are a God who has taken the initiative, that you went so far to find us, that you, Father, you sent your Son into this world to take our place, to die on the cross, so that we could be found, we could be rescued and brought back to you. We thank you, God, that you see us, that you know us. And when you do see us, Lord, you see our sin, you see our brokenness, you see our deceitful hearts. And yet you, in seeing us, Lord, you find us again. And you save us, and you clean us, and you rescue us. And then you see us again through the, through the lens of Jesus. And you declare to us, here is Andy, here is each person in this room whom, in whom there is no deceit, not because of anything that we have done, but because of Jesus, in whom there is no deceit. We thank you that you declare us to be righteous because of Jesus. And so, God, we thank you, Lord, for encountering us in this way. We pray that over the summer that you would encounter us again and again through your word, through these encounters with Jesus. You'd open our eyes to see more and more how much you love us and how much you've done for us, how far you went to find us, how deeply you see us, Lord. And so change our hearts, God, and, and, and call us to follow you, Lord, as your witnesses, as the ones that you called us to find others so they too may be found by you. So thank you, God, for, for being this God. Thank you, Jesus, for finding us, seeing us, and saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.